Hello and welcome to the 2010s. I'm your host Nate, and today we have on Naked Flames. Naked Flames' newest album, Miracle in Transit, is one of the most buoyant, giddy, and propulsive electronic albums I've heard in years. It is a burst of positive energy and color that is unlike almost anything else in the always amorphous outsider house scene that it seems to be attached to. Instead, it's its own beast, full of wonder, beautiful ambient passages, and sheer danceable madness, right here on the 2010s. Yeah, I wanted to start with kind of how you build a song. Um, do you start with just like a loop or a baseline, or do you have something in mind of where the song is going to build to in terms of like the first track when the sampled vocal finally kicks in? Is that in your mind first, or is it more just we're going to start from the foundation of a baseline or a sample or a rhythmic track? So a lot of the times when I operate is, well, recently, so like in the last year and a half or something like that, it has just been, I've got a wee loop going. Um, I've got like a massive folder filled with samples that I've sort of been toying around with for ages, just because like if I hear something, just wherever, I'll like get a loop of it and just stash it. And then normally... I will just by happenstance be able to chuck a few together and think, oh, that worked really well. And then I'll loop it for ages and ages. And then in the case of Miracle in Transit, it just so happened that most of these tracks took months for me to just like add one other bit and then another bit. And then all those tracks are just sort of live mixes. So I'm just filling about with the mixer and recording it out into like audacity. And then after I've done that live mix and I know what works with the loops and what variations I should do, I sort of hard code them in with the with the little pattern blocks. So you get the sort of live instrumentation and the fluid feeling of that, but you're able to actually analyze it and see what works and what doesn't. And you can add, you can like sprinkle some nice things on top as well. So yeah, loops to begin with. I love just like sitting there with a loop for hours. Um, when you're talking about samples, is that a mixture of like, oh, you hear a thing on YouTube or you're like just walking about and hear, you know, something from the bus or the train sounds interesting and you'll loop, the, you'll like take a sample from that as well for like found sounds kind of? Yeah, it's definitely both. I mean, the found sounds are mainly percussive because like I'll be walking about, let's say I'm walking in some leaves. This is an actual example. Like I'm walking in some leaves and it's just a nice sound with my flip flops or whatever record that with my phone, see what I can do with it. And then I just, yeah, quite a lot of things on YouTube. It's super easy to just nick any audio from YouTube. So <laughs> I, I know what I like and I know what sort of works in my head. So I just sort of whack them together. And sometimes you'll get really fortunate and get on something that, you know, sets your life on fire for a bit because it's like, oh, flipping egg, I managed to do that. And then you try and flash it out. I And, and that specifically that leaves motion kind of brings me to an idea that kind of caught me on Miracle in Transit, which is this, there's a lot of references and feeling of nature in it. I think in Carrot Car, there's a sound of chirping tri crickets. Obviously, you have a song called Under Every Tree in England. Um, and I'm wondering for you how you're kind of either fusing the synthetic and nature together or how you're trying to portray nature through synthetic sounds. Um... I don't really know how that came about, to be honest. I mean, 
a lot I'll, I'll be honest i feel like a lot of the time just the feeling of the album just comes through the cover art like i don't go out of my way to make many anything like explicitly nocturnal or explicitly sort of vibrant and full of like summer life or anything like that but I, yeah i don't i don't really think i go out of my way I, I certainly didn't with miracle in transit think like i want to do something explicitly nature themed in this way it just sort of happened that way i mean i was going around google maps a lot uh when i was like i was going around connecticut on google maps like a bunch just like this time last year or something like that and that was the time when a lot of the song's main ideas were forming so it could have intrinsically like led its way into that but i didn't do it on purpose interesting i don't i don't even know what the geography of connecticut's like what what were you seeing that you're like this is an interesting idea i was going around new fairfield in connecticut um the reason for that was just because it's like very sort of obtusely linked to an internet web series called pets cop it's not even linked to it but there was like a, a thing in the past that linked new fairfield to it so i was like i'm gonna go around there on google maps and it was all just like you know bathed in sunlight autumnal like riverside and lakeside areas and like windmills and little docks and stuff like that i just got lost in it for ages i think petscop was the last video game creepypasta ish thing that actually caught my attention because that guy made a whole actual game it was it was really impressive flipping i I could go on for about petscop (laughs) for years so yeah (laughs) um well, it, I was kind of wondering on that, too, because my introduction to your music was through Rate Your Music, um, because they had, like, featured review on the top, and it's Miracle in Transit. Um, and it's just interesting how, you know, it's been talked a lot about how various internet communities can connect people. Like, that's been talked about all the time. But I think specifically in dub techno, ambient techno, and rave, it feels like those are the areas where you kind of have to be online to find out who's doing new stuff. Because uh, a lot of people just will release things and because of the pandemic, not be do you know, not be doing live sets or some of them are kind of mysterious. You know, there's all those Detroit guys under uh, Deep Chord, which were kind of my introduction to dub techno. And I was just wondering for you of like, is it sites like that, connections like that, that have made you burrow further into certain musical genres or ideas? uh i mean yeah definitely i used to use rate your music all the time like i it's got just a brilliant like sort of charts feature and you're able to go through discographies so easily and labels as well gosh being able to just go through labels and immediately be linked through to hearing things is just superb i didn't really interact with the community at all just because as a person i don't really do that i just stay on the periphery uh by choice or not i don't really know it's just how i act but like I mean, there was a time in 2018 when I just suddenly, like, the house and techno switch just flicked in my head and I got completely hooked onto it. And so naturally later on, I just thought, because I'm using this website, um, I can kind of put my own music on it and just see what happens just as a wee sort of experiment. And, like, one time it just so happened to catch fire and people were listening to it and, like, you know, the first time that strangers are listening to your music after years and years of just doing it for yourself, it's pretty weird. But I don't know, it's just sort of managed to, the sort of snowball has managed to like keep accumulating more snow over time. I don't really know why, considering there are so many other artists on Rate Your Music that are like doing the same thing as me, I think. But 
Yeah, that that website is interesting, without a doubt. Uh, well, you so you're talking about like you know strangers listening to your music. That's new and all that stuff. Um, I've seen I've seen that you have played some. You played a fest recently. You uploaded the visual component of it to your YouTube channel, and I'm wondering how much now in your head the music is still just this is completely for me i'm making it for my own needs and how much are you slowly starting to think about live sets how it's going to hit an audience so like it's all the time just being for myself and the reason for that is because when i try to do it for other people things just short circuit in my head because mm. i just overthink it like crazy because i just think how do i cater to that how do i cater to this and i tried to do that for ages like the reason why Miracle in Transit sounds the way it does, in my head at least, is because when I moved to Cambridge, when, like the first time I properly moved out of, outside of university to go to my job, um, I was not knowing what the hell I was doing. And I was just thinking, if I want to do music seriously, but I didn't know if I wanted to do at the time, I just sort of saw that at the time, like, there was loads of atmospheric drum and bass and like trance stuff that was happening online. And I was like, I need to get in on that. And I don't have the tact to be able to just get in on a thing as I've realized over the last year. So I sort of spent a while like trying to do all this drum and bass and trance stuff and none of it really came to fruition. But I had like ideas from that that sort of found their way into dubby and house soundscapes as I sort of slowly got back to myself and realized what I wanted to do so at the end of it it's like yeah I gotta just do it for myself and like when it comes to the live environment I've I just well about two weeks ago I got back from a US tour that was really nice and like I've got a pretty fixed set there I'm unfortunately quite stubborn when it comes to that I know people say when you're playing live and you're DJing you play to the audience and you you know adapt to it you adapt to the energy in the room and stuff like that but you know i don't i don't know if i have that that sort of tact and skill so i just sort of do my thing and hope for the best do you remember what the first dub techno single or artist or label you came into contact with that really grabbed you a basic channel uh yep. without a doubt that was early 2018 i listened to the inversion uh ep that's like under cirrus or something but it's basic channel uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, something's here. There's really something here that's special. But for, I was listening to Outside the House quite a bit before that, just mm -hmm. for fun. But like later on in the year, that germinated, like it properly bloomed a lot and it just completely changed everything. I, I'm still always confused by like the Outsider House label because it just feels like a, a label to put on things that people don't know where to place it because it's like, Oh, it's Nick Jar, and it's John Hopkins, and it's DJ Seinfeld, and it's like, I love all of those artists, but it feels like they don't have a ton in common, really. Yeah, like, I thought Outsider House was, like, just lo-fi, gritty house, right? Mm -hmm. But then you've got all this other, like, sort of very shiny and twinkly house, but because it's on an indie label and it's done on tape, it's called Outsider House, and I, I just, I can't wrap my head around that. I don't really know what it is. My introduction was Deep Chord, like I said, Echo Space, and I think for a basic channel that also hits upon something I was thinking about, you 
not all of Miracle in Transit, but there are definitely sections where it's kind of minimalist in notes, but not in length. Like, the point of it is either an unfurling crescendo or a slow accumulation of more and more elements over time. And you were saying earlier, you can just loop things to infinity when you're like looking at samples or baselines or anything like that. And I'm wondering how much of that is just like, you're just kind of putting yourself almost into a trance with these long, long loops and just, when does it feel right to change the new element or do you just know? Uh, yeah, you got the intuition. You, you just mm. sort of know. I mean, if I had it my way, the songs wouldn't end. But you know you can't you can't really do that. So um, that would be nice if I could sort of set up some sort of thing where people could just listen in on a like project file stream and it just doesn't end and people choose when they want to end it. But like, yeah, you just sort of think right. That's 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 enough for that. Or you can like, I mean, I I don't know the first thing when it comes to what people want out of music, but just like if you give them just a morsel to sort of snack on they'll just keep coming back to that and think it's better than it is <laughs> like just just like a sh just a short amount of that infinity if you sort of take that out put it in and like if someone keeps coming back to that then they can sort of form their own narrative with it i like short amount of infinity that's a good yeah <laughs> just a wee uh, bit you know yeah yeah in another interview you had talked about you would do these deep dives on different genres like you get into like slow core or something like that. And I'm curious now that you've done so much within electronic music and realize that you're doing lo-fi production because you want to fill out the sound, you like the texture of it. Do you think if you went back to other genres and were poking around with them, you would have the same production techniques or would you have to completely rethink that for the emotional and song needs of a different genre? Uh, they'd be the same, yeah. Because like, I mean, before I did house and techno, I was doing a whole lot of other music, but it was all like guitar, sort of experimental rock based. And that was all very purposefully lo-fi and gritty in the same way. I was doing the same sort of textual experiments that I was doing, and I just sort of nixed that and put it into house. Um, like, yeah, I mean, back when I was in college, I had a Blue Yeti microphone and Audacity, and I had just like a shitty amp. But I was like, you can, I could do anything I want with this. So... I don't plus I don't like making something sound good that was something really annoying about Miracle in Transit is I had to spend time making it sound good and that irritated me um <laughs> uh, yeah yeah I do uh is that is that your live guitar work then on Under Every Tree no no that's a, that's a sample okay cool um I was just curious because I was like that would be the molding of the two you know of your previous work well it's it's funny you say that because there was a scrap track for that album that is a sample of my own guitar work from years and years and years ago uh i scrapped that unfortunately but that would have been exactly what you're describing i i have a similar thing of like i keep a ton of i just have a, a folder on my computer that's just called samples and it's like maximum 30 second like little things that you just kind of snatch out of the air or you hear a random bit of it um, not to make you give away any of the like, oh, this is what I need out of the sample. But how do you go about samples? Like, because you obviously like there are stretches, there are reverb moments, there are echo on it. When you hear a sample, do you immediately start saying, okay, how can I fuck with this? Um, I mean, the annoying answer to that is I don't, I don't really know. I just sort of, 
just I just do it. I just work with it. I don't really think. I mean, when I've been doing so much sample work over the last uh, last year and a bit, I mean, my first techno projects didn't really use any samples at all. Mm-hmm. Come to think of it, like um, twenty four seven was the first time I sort of started using wee bits of samples. But like Miracle in Transit is like every song is revolving around a sample, pretty much. Um, but like, what was I going to say? I mean. No, I don't really know what I'm doing with the samples. I just sort of know what sounds right in my head. Um, I don't think there's any, like, sort of methodology to it. I mean, I just know what loops sound really good in my head, and I just mm. sort of go from there. Awesome. Uh, there, and the, I, I could be mishearing these, but... Um, on the first track, it sounds like there's this little beep, beep, I think, from one of the Mario games. No, that's just a sign tone. Okay. Yeah. Sign tone. Oh, wait, um, hang on. Beep, beep. Um, yeah. It's the... Oh, so many beeps, though, in that. Yeah, well, that's true. They, I'm not being very specific. Uh, I know exactly the 20 minute. It goes beep twice. Yeah. Bum, um, bum. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, basically, there's a website called Sounds Resource that just has, like, all of the sound effects from video games. I will spend entire days just downloading games i've never heard of just to see if there's a percussive thing that i like uh and i it could be from mario i don't know it, it might be i might i might have to look what's that called again i might have to look that up sounds hyphen resource sounds it's like hyphen. it's like um the audio component of sprites resource is a very similar website okay um You've just got so much percussion there. It's nuts. And like, because I discovered that as I was doing 24 7, 365, that's why that album probably sounds why everyone's like, oh, it's video game music. Because there's just so many video game sound effects that I've just chucked on top because I think, oh, yeah, that would work. That sort of squelch is what I was looking for or something like that. But I don't, I, I certainly don't go out of my way to make anything sound video gamey, but everyone's like, this is Mario Kart. This is Mario Kart. <laughs> Well, I was going to ask on Tennessee Transit. It's not quite a Pokeball opening, but there's some sort of very nostalgic, like opening something sound kind of in, in the background every once in a while near the chorus, and I don't know what it is. Is that the like breathing? Yeah, sort of... yeah. Oh, that I... now I was told that that's Kirby spitting something out. Ah, that's it. If yep. that is it, then sure. I don't know. I the other thing I wanted to ask. And maybe this is just another one of those things where it's like, this is just where the song's going. The song is telling me where to go. I know that there's a lot of dub techno out there that can go really, really dark, really, really mysterious. And for you, especially Miracle in Transit, so much of it sounds positive, almost utopian, at least to me. And I'm wondering for you, what drew you to that more positive, major key kind of way of going about it? Oh, um... I mean, I think it was just the fortune of the fact that the samples I was using just happened to be like sort of quite jovial and happy. And I just thought I'll act around those. I was feeling like fucking shite as I was making that album. So, I mean, what's funny is that everyone was like, oh, 24-7, this is such a positive burst. And like, no, that album is like not supposed to sound like that. It's supposed to sound like you're fucking being strung along by caffeine and nerves and you're not knowing what the fuck you're doing. But like, I guess that my like 
misfortune is other people's gain if they're saying that it's like oh this is so happy how did you how did you do it like that i didn't like i i didn't sit down i was like let's make a happy song i didn't have that in me so i i i don't know i don't think yeah i mean that pan matchery for example that flipping sample from um ukue which is a yume nikki fan game thing mm-hmm. um yeah i just heard it and thought oh that sounds quite silly i like that and then the fact that the Alexander O'Neill vocal samples sort of came much later and I just stuck them together it just happened to be happy and 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 that sort of worked I guess I mean yeah Yuma Nikki is another classic video game creepypasta kind of thing too so that's the best isn't it it's uh, very that and Ben Drowned were very formative for me on my internet mythology is that the right word I don't know how to I guess so. Yeah, if you want, if it's got a nice mysterious element to it. I mean, I never really looked at like Ben Drowned and stuff like that. I got into Yuma Nikki in uh, twenty seventeen or something like that. Mm-hmm. But then, do you, have you heard about Yume Tuki? No. What is that? That's the fan-made quote-unquote sequel, which <laughs> is about five thousand times the size of Yuma Nikki, and it's still getting <laughs> developed. Oh like it's got so many sound effects and like ambient tracks and all these amazing worlds and it's still being developed and like I haven't played it for ages but it just lives rent free in my head every day and so so many things that I do are directly inspired by like Yume Nikki and Yume Tuki without a doubt we, I mean I guess it would be like you would be in a collaboration with someone or someone would reach out to you. Do you think much about scoring for video games or films in the future? Because it sounds like the way you describe things, there's a visual component to a lot of these in your head. Um, I don't think I could do that. I, I, I just overthink it like fuck. Because then I'd be working with someone and they'd be like, oh, can you do a thing like this? And I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't be able to do it. I, like whenever I collab, which I don't, but whenever I do collab, I'm just like, I'm doing the wrong fucking thing. I'm not going to be able to deliver on this. I'm just sick of that. So like mm. being able to just sort of do things for yourself and know that if it's bad, at least you can blame it entirely on yourself and you're not having to do it for anyone else. That's fine. But like the idea of having to like directly work with someone on a, a video game or a soundtrack and just the idea that when I hand it in, it's going to be shite or it's not going to be what they look for because I misunderstood what the like what the briefing was uh nah i can't do it not now anyway yeah uh tangent but what is the most recent best internet rabbit hole you've gone down oh internet rabbit hole um i don't really do anything nowadays i just watch limmy that's (laughs) not that's good that's just that's not that's not really a rabbit hole though like there's got to have been some sort of rabbit hole uh, my memory's shot to pieces, unfortunately. Uh, fuck, I don't know. What have I done recently? I, I have no idea. I, I think mean, just I, I just watch Limmy all day. That's just all I do. There are much worse things. Much worse yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. There, there are much worse. I feel fucking good whilst watching it, so that is what it is. Did you have much thought and purpose behind the sequencing of the album? Um, yeah, I mean, yes, definitely. I was, I, I knew from the get go that, well, funnily enough, Pan Matsuri and Tenerife, Tennessee Transit were like the 
sort of first two that I did that I was like, right, those are for the next album. Whenever that happens, I knew that that was going to be the first and the last track. 100%. I was completely sold on that. And then I had a bunch of tracks that were sort of floating about. But thankfully, I've got the, the thing in my head that sort of knows, right, yeah, that's got to be the second track. Yeah, that sounds like a penultimate track which saves me so much hassle because I can imagine a lot of people making an album might not know where to put things for whatever reason. But thankfully when I make a track, like when I made Carrot Car, for instance, I was like, that sounds like a second track to me. No idea why, but it just works in my head. And so like I had a sort of route for the album, what it would sound like before I made most of the tracks. Like I kind of wanted it to ebb and flow in that way and do a bit of a meander in the middle where it gets a bit deeper and sort of comes out the other side into Tennessee Transit. So I was I was very fortunate that I had those two cornerstones, Panmatsuri and Tennessee Transit, already there. In the meandering, it's kind of, you know, having miles in the middle of it, which is by far the longest track, kind of. Centerpiece isn't quite the right word because it does feel like Panmatsuri and Tennessee Transit are like, the, the twin pillars of the album, you know what I mean? Funnily enough, that track was going to be three minutes. Uh, Miles of Conkers was just going to be that original um, Genesis sample, just sort of working its way through, being a bit calm, bit of a sort of stop in the, in the middle of the album, but I just got carried away. Do you, do you go through while you're producing and you're just like, ah, oh, shit, this is nine minutes now? Yes, you look absolutely. You, 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 you. I've got my big keyboard right next to my computer, and I'll just like randomly smack it, and it will make a chord. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, that's five minutes right there. Like, because I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll hit the chord, and I'll, and I'll know, like, oh fuck, no, but you can do that with that, and then this with this, and that would work into that. And you think, for fuck's sake, I've just made five minutes extra work for myself, but it worked. You you almost sound like there's a little bit of like frustration towards yourself during that moment of like I have this perfectly nice three minute long ambient track and now I fucked it. Like, it was like <laughs> when I when I was like sending it to my to my mates and I was just like hey here's here's this track which was originally called like Floodplain One or something and they were like oh that's a really nice sort of ambient sort of soft diversion uh, and then I fucked it by just like you know how the second half of the track just ramps up yeah that's what happened i just sort of hit that chord and it had that organ tone which is from like chrono trigger or something i have no idea but like i hit that organ note and i was like uh i i know that i know you that's the thing that you'd do with that you'd ramp it up and you've done that before on way down that's a track of one of my earlier eps i was just like you can do that again kind of and then boom nine minutes whoops just the the note on Bandcamp for that song just says whoops. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's what it is. Uh, yeah. The last question was was about Tennessee Transit, and it was just that combination of those really triumphant horns and the vocal kind of that choral behind it. That feels like if those are samples, that feels like you're really meshing together a couple of different elements at once. That are you're not just getting the rhythm right, but it's melodically sounds like it was already one song. And I was just wondering what the process was that for that. Well, it, it is the, the, the horns and the vocal. That's one Paul McCartney track. Oh, but okay. The story behind that, I won't go into too much detail because it's fucking grim, but like, um, I, I, so that track came about was cause I was having reoccurring nightmares 
about my ex-girlfriend and like one of them at the very end uh that song was playing over my phone speaker as i was dreaming take it away by paul mccartney Mm -hmm. it was playing over my phone speaker so it was like seeping into my dream and like as the climax of the fucking horrible moment in the nightmare happened that track was playing and as i woke up i was like fuck this i need to like i need to like just like have fun with the fact that i'm suffering this much out of my own head just to fuck with myself and so i'd like I made a track out of it and it was really good. And so I was like, right, I've managed to turn that shite into something good. People are going to look at that and be like, oh, wow, that's the best track on the album. How triumphant it sounds. And in fact, it's born out of like fucking feeling like fucking dog shit and just trying to like laugh at myself for being pathetic in the moment. That's Tennessee Transit. A little bit of an exorcism. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. <laughs> wow. No, <laughs> that kind of rules. Uh, yeah, that's all I got for you, man. I again, thank you for taking the time out and like as not a, you know, professional interviewer person. Uh the album is fucking incredible. This is my favorite techno album of the year. Like easy. Oh, cheers. Yeah, thank you so much. Just incredibly colorful is it and Is what? it is it house or techno? What is I it? I don't fucking know, man. Yeah, it was good. Like, I don't either. It was what I was saying about the outsider house thing. It feels like it feels like techno's going through what indie rock was hap- what was happening in indie rock in like the mid 2000s of like indie is just like something people slap on it because they're not sure yes. what to do with it absolutely yes um so yeah that that's kind of how i use outsider house now which is just like yeah it's you and mood hut and nick jar and dark side and like all that because no one knows what the similar minded people in terms of the way they go about music but they're making wildly different things you can call it indie house. Oh God! Don't. <laughs> How horrid did that sound? You've you've unleashed it to something terrible, like a terrible marketing thing. Like I, I take it back. I take it back. I didn't say that. There's some PR guys, like a bunch of PR people, just like their heads all came up like a pack of predators. <laughs> They're like, fucking Whoa. scribbling furiously right now on some notepad. Yeah. Indie house. The next Spotify heard both of uh, us say that. Yeah, I was. I was just gonna say that's a Spotify playlist, isn't it? And it's like some bloke with a tweed sort of like jumper and a mustache behind some DJ decks. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. That's horrid. You, you've invoked a terrible thing onto this world. <laughs> oh well, give and take away, you know. I give Miracle in Transit, and I, I, I take away in the form of Indie House. Oh my God.